Uh, but as we were going through the sermon series, Greatest Hits, uh, this was number one on the charts in 2015. And as you heard in the lyrics, Justin Bieber is singing a song called Sorry. And so as we get into God's word today, I felt, felt like this was appropriate as we talk about authentic repentance. And if you don't know this song, I'll just read off some of the lyrics uh, so we can get an understanding of what he says. He says, I just need one more shot at forgiveness. I know I've made mistakes maybe once or twice. And by once or twice, I mean maybe a couple of hundred times. I know that I let you down, but is it too late to say I'm sorry now? I know for some of us, that may be hard not to sing as, as we're hearing it. But our topic today is authentic repentance. And I think uh, what that means is it's a genuine, authentic um, admission or acknowledgement of your grief and sorrow and guilt as you have offended someone else. And it's a desire to repair, restore, and reconcile that relationship once again. And I feel that biblically, this is the very first step that we have to take once we come to faith and begin the journey of discipleship. But like all of us, we mess up. Uh, some of us maybe more than others, uh, but we are all equally called to repent, to seek forgiveness. And we all need equally forgiveness. And so maybe the question that arises is, is it too late? Have I gone too far? Have I done too much to be forgiven? And as big as that question is, I believe scripture gives us a very simple and easy answer. No, it's not too late. You haven't gone too far and you haven't done too much that you cannot be forgiven. Now I know that may be uh, easy to hear, easy to understand, but it may not always be easy to feel inside because of maybe guilt, shame, or some kind of sin in your life that you feel like could never be forgiven. So to help us understand that in our current context, I want to share someone's testimony and help us understand what that may be look like for us today to really truly be forgiven in our life, to be changed. And some of you may know this individual. I don't know who uh, everyone knows in town and stuff like that or in Greenville. Uh, but this individual uh, got married very young at 18 years old to a 16-year-old and then you know, started a family, went to college, and started playing football. And during that time, uh, got into the party scene with all the other football players. And as a part of the party scene, started experimenting with drugs, alcohol, and his wife at that time, who had three kids, suspected that he was running around on her. Now that continued even after he graduated and he loved the party scene so much that he decided he was gonna run his own bar. So he opened up a bar and his wife even helped by working out or serving there and things like that. And things progressively got worse uh, with his addiction to drugs and alcohol and running around. But one night there was this really bad fight that broke out in the bar and one thing led to another and eventually the police were called and out of fear, he showed up, he went to the house, got a few things, and told his wife, do the best you can. I'll be gone for a few months. A few months goes by. He finally comes back home, thinking things will go back to normal. And the wife is obviously not having that. She says, look, this can't go on any further. I'm taking the kids, and we're leaving. After some time goes by, he eventually realizes that this isn't going well. He's, he's desperate. He's um, just so hopeless in this situation and realizes he has to do something to change us. He has to get his family back. He has to straighten out his life somehow. So he goes to his wife later and, and asks her, what is it that I can do? What can I do? Tell me, help me figure out what it is I need to do. What can I change? 
And she says, well, me and the boys, we've been going to church for a while now, and I think if you're really serious about this, go and talk to the pastor. So to her surprise, he agrees. He goes to the church, talks to the pastor, and for the first time in his life, he hears the gospel presented. And it strikes him so much, he realizes not only what he's done to his family, but what he's done before God. And in that moment, he repents, and his life has been turned around ever since. Like I said, some of you may know who this individual is. His name is Phil Robertson. Maybe not someone you expected, because maybe it's obvious how God has changed his life and, and worked through that to make him the man that he is today. Whether or not you agree with everything he says or does is another story, but you can see that the man he is today is not the man he once was. So is it too late? Have you gone too far? Have you done too much? The answer is no. And when we recognize our sin and that Jesus is the only way to be saved, we are called to repentance. In fact, in the New Testament, we see that John the Baptist, Jesus, and Peter all begin their ministry by doing the same thing, calling people to repent. In the Old Testament, this word repent is not necessarily a religious word. It simply means to turn around, to literally go in a different direction. And we see it in a number of ways as used as people turning from the direction they were going from one town to another and things like that. But if we are talking about sin, as we are talking about how we offend God and trying to reconcile that, that relationship, we have to understand what is it that we are being called to turn from? And that's what I hope to help us understand today. And um, trust me, I could preach for hours on all the specific sins that uh, is laid out for us in the Bible, but that would probably take hours and uh, not that exciting. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, what we're going to do today is we're going to just look at a very foundational understanding of how we have offended God. And we're going to be doing that by looking at Psalm 51. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take those out. We have them in the pews and maybe under the seats in front of you. And then we'll also have the text on the screen. But this is a psalm that most of you are probably familiar with. It's a psalm that David wrote as a result of being confronted by his sin by the prophet Nathan after committing adultery with Bathsheba, killing her husband, and then trying to cover up the whole thing. So in the first two verses, that's all we're going to be looking at. This is what David writes. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, if you're like me, these are probably not words that you use every single day, right? You don't go up to your kids and say, man, you were so full of iniquity. You say, you're being a pain in the rear. Stop it, you know, cut it out, right? I mean, maybe, maybe that's just my mom. I don't know. But these are words that were probably, if I asked you to define them, how are they different? Maybe a little bit difficult to do. So we're going to go through them. We're going to try to get a better understanding of what these words mean so that we can better understand what we are to turn from. So our first word, out of these three words, we have transgressions, iniquity, and sin. We're going to start with iniquity. This is the Hebrew word ava. It means to twist, to bend, or to be crooked. It's to bend something out of shape, to... Uh, take something that was meant to be one way and transform it into something that really it wasn't meant to be. 
As I mentioned earlier, uh, Peter starts off his ministry telling people to repent. And two verses later, in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, he, it says this, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. The word crooked here in the Greek, which is the equivalent to the Hebrew word ava, is the word skolios. Does anyone recognize that word? It's where we get our word for scoliosis, which is a condition of having a curved or a crooked spine. So again, helping us put this together and understanding it today, it's this understanding of what God meant something to be, but how the world has twisted, it has corrupted, it has taken it out of its original shape that it was intended to be. So that is ava, that is iniquity. The next word we're going to look at is transgression. The Hebrew word for this is pasha. It means to willfully rebel or to break away from. So think of it this way. Uh, pasha means to make a conscious decision to be independent from someone or something else. It means that you're trying to break away from a relationship or some kind of contract or something like that. In our context today, that may look like driving down I-70 and seeing that the speed limit says 70 and saying, oh, to heck with that, and flooring it. A total disregard for the law, total rebellion, willful, you know what you're doing, you're breaking the law on purpose. But I believe this word goes even further than that because in Scripture we have this word used many times. And in Amos chapter 2 it says, the Lord said, that for the transgression of Judah, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and not kept his statutes. So it's obvious God has already given the people the law. They understand what the law is, and then they broke it. And then as we see throughout the Old Testament, God gives them a warning. He says, hey, look, I gave you the law. Here's your warning. Take heed. But because you did, now the punishment is coming. So, again, with that same analogy going down I-70, not only is it seeing the, the law, the, the 70 miles per hour and speeding, it would be like also having the warning up ahead of a state trooper parked on the berm, and then still driving past them and waving as you do it like you don't care, regardless of whatever consequences there, there may be. Pasha, that is transgressing. But... Thirdly, we look at the word that we're probably most familiar with, and that is sin, or kata in the Hebrew. And this word is, is pretty simple. It's, it's the definition is to miss the mark, to fall short, or simply to fail. And so uh, I would like to see a Bible translation that instead of calling people sinners, it just calls them failures. I think that would be a little bit comical. But as we talk about kata, I think it differs a little bit from pasha and ava in that the first two, I believe, are more active. They have to be committed, whereas sin or kata can be passive. And we're probably a little bit familiar with this idea as we read in uh, James chapter 4.17. It says that whoever so knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So transgressing is knowing and willfully rebelling. You have ava, which is to twist something out of, the sh out of shape that it was meant to be. Then we have kata, sin. Sometimes it is taking aim and sometimes you fall short, you miss the mark. But it can also be not even being willing to pick up the instrument to take aim at all because we just refuse to listen. So we have ava, we have pasha, and we have 
kata. And when we understand these things, I, I hope it gives us a better understanding into David's life, what he is saying when he is repenting before God of his sin, of his transgressions, of his iniquities, and how that looks as he repents before God for the things that he has done. Now, as we understand how David repents, I think, like I said, this is the first step for all of us as we begin to follow Christ. Um, it, but it's not just only for that moment. It's not only for people who, for the very first time, kind of understand their sin before God. It's not just for people when they get in trouble and they have to face the music, but it's a continual process that we are called to do as believers. And unfortunately, I feel like sometimes this is just probably built into our human nature. For the longer we are a part of the church, the more and more that we have the propensity to become like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, thinking we are good to go, that we don't have to repent, that there's nothing really that bad in our life. I mean, most people can't see it anyways, so I can walk with my head held high and never have to pretend that I need to repent. And just this uh, last week, I had a couple... Um, run-ins with people. I was talking to an individual, which I invited to church because they don't attend here or anywhere, as far as I know. And they said, oh, I just, I just can't, can't go to church. Can't stand these people who say that they walk with Jesus on Sunday and then live like sin on Monday. You've probably all heard or know maybe of people like that, but I think we are also, to some extent, probably guilty of that ourselves. At least I know I am. I, I don't know if you knew this or not, but I'm not perfect. <laughs> I sin sometimes. I transgress. I may have some iniquity in my life. I mean, you could just ask, ask my wife. She'll probably tell you all about it. But as we are understanding what we are called to do, this is a continual repentance. It's, it's a helping us to understand that what happened for us when we came to Christ was a miracle that we can never lose sight of, that we can never forget what God has done for us through his son on the cross. So it's a continual repentance for it to be authentic. It is a knowledge that, yes, it's not too late. You haven't gone too far. You haven't done too much. But if we do lose sight of that, then we come to expect God's grace and mercy. We come to expect that we should be admired by people and thought to be holy by all people and forget to be humble. And when we do that, I believe we are on a path to destruction. In scripture, we see even some of the most powerful people or, or some of the most righteous people who we don't really know of any sin in their life praying prayers of repentance. And so if you would uh, consider the prophet Daniel, as far as I know, as much as I've read Daniel, I cannot find any specific account of him doing something that is offensive to God, that he needs to repent of. Yet, in chapter 9 of Daniel, he prays a prayer. And I'm going to read that out loud, and we're going to look at what he does in this prayer. Daniel chapter 9, he says, I turn my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and, and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin 
and the sin of my people and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the most holy, of my, uh, holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift light at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come and give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint the most holy place. I don't know if you caught that, but what is Daniel praying for here? He is saying that we have sinned. He's identifying himself with the people of Israel, saying we have sinned, we have done wickedly, we have rebelled and turned aside from your commandments. And it says that a time is coming when there will be an end to pasha, to transgression, an end to ava, to iniquity, and an end to kata, to sin. There will be an atoning sacrifice for these things. So as we asked at the very beginning, what is it that we are called to repent of? What is it that we are called to reconcile with God? What do we deter from? It's our iniquity, our ava. It's our transgression, pasha. It's our sin, kata. And we're all guilty of these things, right? We have all committed iniquity by twisting God's word to fit how we think it best suits our lives. We have all transgressed God. We have all known what his word has said and decided to willfully rebel against that because of what we wanted. And we have all sinned. We have all fallen short. We have all missed the mark, and we have at times decided not to do what God has called us to do at all. But no matter what, we will always sin, we will always fall short. But when we understand what God's word is, when we understand our own sin before God, we have to repent. We have to take the example of Daniel, we have to take the example of David, and we repent. And I don't know what your sin is. I don't know what your transgression may look like. I don't know what kind of iniquity you may have in your life, but I don't have to. You do. God does. And because of that, you can repent to him. That's between you and him. And when we come to this truth of the gospel, of the one who has saved us, it's not only an understanding of what he has saved us from, but it's an understanding of who we are saved to. He is the one that has been pierced for our transgressions. He's the one who is crushed for our iniquities. And he has bore our sin. And just like sheep, we have all gone astray. We have all turned away from him. But he is calling for us to turn back, to repent, to come back to him. Because it's not too late. You can't go too far. And you can't do too much for him to forgive you. So with that in mind, we're going to have a time of coming forward and, and repenting. If you've never done that before, we invite you to do that. I'll be up front, and Tyson will be over here as well. And we're going to have that time if you've never made that decision before. Or maybe you've been in the church for a long time, and you realize this morning that it's not a continual thing you've done. 
and it's something that you need to recommit to your life today is this act of continual repentance. If you feel like that's you, you can come forward, you can come to the altar, you can stay in your pew and pray that as well. But this is a time of coming before God and acknowledging our sin, our transgressions, and our iniquities before him and thanking him for what he's done for us, that he will always take us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful, God, to be able to have the opportunity just to be in your presence, to worship you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. And God, we come before you this morning, I myself, we as a church, repenting, acknowledging our sin, acknowledging our transgressions, and acknowledging our iniquities before you. God, you are so holy and we are so undeserving. And we may never in this life completely understand the love that you have for us, but we are so thankful. And we are thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, who makes that all possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.